Lord Jesus, we do thank you for the opportunity to hear from your word. Lord, we're not present and accounted for today so that we can hear from some foolish preacher. God, we need a message from you, and only your word is sufficient to deliver that. Lord, we ask that you would speak, Father, that you would speak in spite of me. Lord, that you would speak to all of us, everyone in this room, through your word. God, that your word may pierce our hearts, may give us comfort and strength, but also conviction and challenge. God, we long to hear from you. Father, we pray that you would speak now as we, your children, listen attentively. Please add your blessing to the reading, to the teaching, to the proclamation of your holy word. We ask this in the name of the Father, the Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. If you have your Bible, I encourage you to take it and turn with me once again to the Gospel of Matthew. If you do not have your own copy of Scripture, feel free to borrow one of the Bibles in the back of the pew that is in front of you. If you don't own your own Bible, please feel free to take that Bible as your own. Don't just borrow it. You can have it. I mean it. I am serious. If you need a Bible, take that Bible. We will put another one there before next week, I promise. That would be our gift to you. We'd be glad for you to take it. If you aren't following along in a, a book, a paginated copy of God's Word, please feel free to follow along on your phone or your iPad, or the words will also be on the screen. However you're accessing the Word of the Lord, I would ask, if you're physically able, would you please stand out of reverence to the public reading of God's Holy Word as we look together now in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 13, beginning in verse 24. Matthew chapter 13, beginning in verse 24. I will read for us. After I have read, I will say, This is the word of the Lord. I encourage you to respond by saying, Thanks be to God. Let's look together now. Matthew 13, beginning in verse 24. The word of the Lord says, He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servants said to him, Then Do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, No, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time I will tell the reapers, Gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. All these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables. Indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable. 
This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. Then he left the crowds and went into the house. And his disciples came to him saying, Explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. He answered, The one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world. And the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers, and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. As we continue through our sermon series, looking in the Gospel of Matthew, We're walking through 12 different sermons in the Gospel of Matthew. We began in Matthew 12. So for the last three weeks, we were looking at Matthew 12. And we moved to this parable this morning and skipped over a parable that we have looked at together as a church previously. But it's the parable of the man who sows seed. And some scatters and it falls on rocky soil. Some the thorns grow up and choke out. Some have no depth of soil. And some they yield 30, 60, even 100 fold. As Jesus is telling these parables, he moves on to other parables. And so Matthew has arranged his gospel very much to look like Moses' address of the law in the same way that there are five books that are noted and labeled as the Torah, the law. There are five different times in the gospel of Matthew where you will find large chunks of Jesus giving discourse to his disciples or anyone who would listen. And so the author, Matthew, is led by the Holy Spirit to show us how Jesus is the greater Moses even in the structure of the Gospel of Matthew. So we find ourselves in one of those discourses where it's recording a lot of the parables that Jesus teaches. And Jesus teaches some hard parables. And he makes things kind of confusing. And sometimes you have to wonder, why on earth would he speak in that way? And he's fulfilling prophecy. One of my favorite things about this particular passage is it brings out the quotation from Psalm 78 where Matthew is saying Jesus spoke this way because we were told the Messiah would speak this way. The fact that Jesus teaches parables and that they are confusing is another sign to us that he really is the Messiah. He really is the anointed one. He really is the one that God sent to bear our sins and bear our penalty so that he might die in our place and be raised from the dead. All of these things, even in how Jesus talked to people, not just in what he said, but even in the way he spoke to people, Jesus is proclaiming that he is the Messiah. And Matthew doesn't want us to miss that. So even in the structure of the gospel, don't miss that Jesus is the Messiah. There is no other. There's only one way, and it's through Christ. 
And though people try and argue and say, well, why did Jesus not just straight up say bluntly and plainly and blatantly for everybody to hear, I am the Messiah. I am the one who was prophesied about. I am the one who was to come. If you're wondering why, the parables that Jesus tells help us understand why. You see, there there was an expectation of the Messiah that the kingdom would show up. That the Messiah would show up and the kingdom would be an authoritative kingdom. That it would overthrow the rule of the Roman government. That it would be established the way that Israel was established in the Old Testament. And that was so ingrained into the people that the people could not comprehend that really the kingdom wasn't coming like that at all. So Jesus tells these parables. We look and he tells all these parables to the crowd. We're going to look at even more of them next week, but... First off, he says, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to. This is is a common phrase for Jesus. He compares the kingdom of heaven to things that the people he is speaking to would understand. And so it's very easy for us today to look at this and understand what Jesus is talking about. They understood it even better then because it was obvious to them. It is in parables, but these are parables with analogies to things they did every single day. All right? So Jesus talks about the kingdom of heaven being compared to a field. And a farmer sows good seed. And then somebody comes along and sows evil seed, bad seed, weeds amongst them. And the weeds that it's talking about in Greek is probably a a darnel, a weedy rye grass with poisonous black seeds at the top. It resembles wheat in its early growth, but it's very easily distinguished from wheat when it is mature. But this type of weed had black seeds that were poisonous that grew. But as it began to grow, it looked almost identical to the wheat. The first thing for us to take away from this parable is that at the early stages of the growth, the wheat and the weeds are indistinguishable. Folks, I want to submit to you this morning that the kingdom of God is filled with both wheat and weeds. What does that mean for for you and I? Wheat, as we're told later in our passage, wheat are the sons of the kingdom. They're the servants of the kingdom of God. But the weeds are the workers of evil, the workers of lawlessness, lawbreakers, those who cause others to fall into sin. And they're mixed in together and they're indistinguishable. Folks, that's a huge point for us to lay our minds on that in the early stages, the wheat and the weeds looked identical to one another. So I want you to know there are plenty of churches, sister churches, there are plenty of church members that in the early stage of their membership, in the early participation with the church, even today, they look just like the rest of the wheat. But they're actually weeds. Jesus talks about elsewhere in the Gospel of Matthew and also in in Mark and Luke, that there are wolves in sheep's clothing among the church, among his kingdom, in the same way that there are weeds among the wheat. So church, it's it's hard for us to distinguish who's the wheat and who is the weed. Well, I I really, I know this person really well, and I've I've been getting to know them. I really, I think that they're probably wheat. But folks, we can't fully know somebody's heart. At the end of the day, somebody could be a weed when we think they are wheat. Listen, I don't know if it's ever happened here in Covington County, 
But I heard a great story of, of a guy who played this wonderful prank in high school. And it's a really long-term kind of a prank. So he goes to all of his neighbor's houses and he plants watermelons in and amongst all of their crops. So it's not necessarily weeds, but it's watermelon. And so as all their crops are growing up, it starts to look a lot different than what he was expecting. I've even seen this done in somebody's front yard. You, you think your grass is growing up and everything's great, and then boom, there's a watermelon. But that's a prank you've got to commit some time to, okay? This is not dropping a water balloon on somebody's head where there's instant gratification. This is a slow, drawn-out process. In the same way, the weeds are sown with the wheat as a long-term plan. All right, the enemy is not always looking for the instant gratification. You can't tell the weeds and the wheat apart in the early stages. Our enemy is not just interested in discouraging us. Our adversary is not just interested in discouraging us for today, for the moment. It is a long-term plan. And I don't know about you guys, but there have been plenty of times in my life where I have thought, man alive, am I in the weeds? Am I in the thick of it? Not even thinking about this passage. I mean, we have that, that saying, that idiom, man, we're, we're in the thick of it. I, I'm in the weeds. I'm lost out in the weeds. Because there have been plenty of times where we are facing spiritual warfare and trials and frustrations from our enemy. Setbacks from our enemy that are not just today. It's not like you just went outside and your, your tire was flat and then the spare was good and you, you changed your tire and you moved on. We're talking about you went outside, your tire was flat, your spare was flat, and then your alternator was dead, so that when you tried to crank the car, you didn't even get those fun little click, 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 click. And then you go and you take it to the mechanic, and the mechanic says, well, your oil pump, your fuel filter is dead as well. They try to change it out, and when they change it out, they put bad parts back in it. So you're without a vehicle for months at the time, and you think, Lord, have mercy. This is not normal. It's not. Folks, we have an enemy who is at work against us. And I don't want to just give all credence and credit to spiritual warfare. What, what we do as Christians is one of two things, typically. We usually either say everything is spiritual warfare or nothing is spiritual warfare. They're, these demons aren't out there doing anything. There's, there's nothing going on. That's just, that's just over-sensationalized, charismatic Pentecostal people that just assume that all this is spiritual warfare. And then there's people over here that if I stub my toe on Sunday morning, because it's Sunday morning, ooh, that's spiritual warfare. I tell you what, the devil, he took the door frame and he moved it over through the night. And pastor, that's why you stubbed your toe, because it is spiritual warfare working against you. And the devil's trying to stop you from preaching the word of the Lord this morning. I'm thinking, well, yeah, I'm okay. I mean, I, it, it did hurt for a minute, but it was, it was just a stubbed toe. That might, that might be just a step too far. Folks, there's somewhere in the middle where we have to acknowledge we have an enemy. There are enemies even among us that are oftentimes indistinguishable from those who are faithful. But don't give them too much credit. Don't give them not enough credit. Don't write everything off as, well, that's just a coincidence. That's just a bad day. There is an enemy. There are weeds sown among the wheat. And there are spiritual trials and tribulations and warfare that takes place that we do not see. But everything's not attributed to that, okay? Sometimes your car just breaks down because it's like 15 years old. All right? That, that does happen. It's not that the devil was after you that morning. It's that a transmission can only go so far, all right? So keep these things balanced in our minds. 
also, God doesn't immediately remove us from the weeds. That's a huge aspect of this parable. The weeds are among us, and they are oftentimes indistinguishable from us. There is an us, and there, there is a wheat and a weeds. And even though we can't distinguish, the Lord can distinguish. But the Lord doesn't immediately uproot the weeds. There's something about this process that would harm us, that would endanger us about uprooting the weeds too early. And so the Lord waits until the final day of judgment, until the day when all will be judged and the wheat will then be separated from the weeds. Remember how Jason has taught us in worship before that we are saved from the penalty of sin right when we believe in Jesus. We're justified. Then as we live our life and we're living for Christ, every day we're moving a little bit closer to Christ. Some days we take a step back, but we're being freed in the process of being freed from the power of sin. We're freed from the penalty. We're in the process of being freed from the power. And then ultimately, we'll be freed from the presence of sin. That comes on the day of judgment, but not until the day of judgment. Because something about the process of separating us is abhorrent to the Lord. And so he allows the weeds to grow in and among us. We have to deal with the weeds if we are part of the wheat, regardless of if we like it or not. The Lord's going to let the weeds grow among us. And this type of weed has a poisonous seed at the top of it. It stings. It hurts. There's something about this weed that is uncomfortable, might make it itchy and scratchy. I don't know if it's poison ivy or poison oak or what it is, but there's something about this weed that is absolutely unbearable. And yet, the Lord allows for the weed to continue to grow amongst us until the final day. Because of what we see in the next couple of parables. The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. Folks, we cannot get caught up in the trap of doing things just for the sake of doing things. Alright, what we do in the church is we want to have a big, flashy event because we want to distinguish and reach out and bring in as much as we can. We want to pretend like it's harvest time right now. But folks, the kingdom of God is like a, like a mustard seed. The smallest of all the seeds. Jesus later will talk about how he is like a seed that's buried into the ground and the seed passes away as it germinates and the roots grow out and then it grows into an enormous tree. It's the same thing with the mustard seed and the kingdom of God. This is not some kingdom that's a nation that's just going to pop up immediately. Jesus is saying this will take time. The abnormal way for the church to grow will be huge blasts and spurts of people coming to know Christ. The, the same thing we read about in the day of Pentecost where thousands of believers were added on that day. Those are the abnormal ways that the church grows. Let me tell you, the way that a church really grows, the way that the kingdom really grows grows up amidst the weeds, slow and steady. Guys, what's attractive about slow and steady? What's attractive about when you read the book, The Tortoise and the Hare, you kind of expect the hare to win. You almost think the hare's going to pull it out right there in the end because even though he's like laid around and done things, he's quick enough to just come back. And you almost want the hare to pull it out because he's, he's clearly faster. The fact that the tortoise wins is backwards. It's not right. That's not how the story should go, but it's true. God designed for his kingdom 
to grow slow and steady. And you might be sitting there thinking, you know, I, I know that God said it'd be like a mustard seed. I know that it would be like a tree that would eventually grow. But, but aren't we there? Aren't we at the explosive growth part? It's been 2,000 years since Jesus died. Aren't we? I mean, there's tons of people who say they're Christian. Well, just some statistics for you. There's about roughly two and a half billion people who claim to be Christian in the world today. About two and a half billion people. The population of the world is about 7.8 billion people. So we're still talking that if, if this is a huge tree that's going to cover shade, everybody and the birds are going to be able to come and nest in it, this tree should cover the whole world. But right now, we're at best. If all those people are being honest, and they really are true believers, even though the weeds are among those answers as well, if we give them the benefit of the doubt, Christianity today is at 2.5 billion souls out of 7.8 billion souls. There's still about 5 billion people in the world alive right now who do not believe in the gospel. Folks, there's a lot of growing that the seed, that the tree has left to do. But it's not going to be... Boom! 5,000 people came to join the Lord. Boom! 20 million people came to know the Lord. Folks, it's not going to be where we can just have a big carnival, a big fair, and invite everybody, and they'll all become Christians. It's about making and building relationships with people, about really caring about others. It's about the slow grind that is not attractive, that's not how the marketing campaigns and the marketing ads go. Today, the, the cool thing is, let's join a church that's like a one-name church. You know, that's everybody, we're going to go, we're going to plan our own church, and we're going to take over the world. And there's nothing wrong with planning a new church. But everybody wants to leave and go join, you know, Summit Church, or Life Church, or Journey Church, or the Mission Church. I mean, it's just, there's a one-word name, church, and everybody's going to plan a new church, and they're going to take over the world. And this church starts at five people, and then there's ten people, and then there's 150 people. Folks, God can use that. And if those churches continue to grow, that's great. But God's also using 162-year-old churches to grow slow and steady. There was a schoolhouse that used to be the meeting place for Bethany Baptist Church, Bethany Missionary Baptist Church. The building that's over there now is what replaced it, and roughly there were a couple buildings. And then 1949 is when that brick building was built. And then in the 80s and 90s, it was added on to. And then the back of it was added on to. Then a fellowship hall was built. Then this sanctuary was built. Then there was another building added for student ministry just about five or, or about seven years ago, something like that. Folks, God is slowly growing His kingdom. And it's not about doing big, flashy things. It's not about, let's have huge events and invite everybody and we'll have droves and droves of people come in. Yes, that, that can work. But God's kingdom is slow growing. It's small. And it develops over time. If you attract people to a ministry by flashy whiz-bang, you've got to keep them with flashy whiz-bang. And the next year, you've got to up whatever you did. And then you've got to up above that. And if you had a fireworks show, now you've got to have two fireworks shows. If you had one campus, now you've got to have four campuses. And guys, Jesus says, my kingdom will grow, and it will grow like a mustard seed. And even as it grows, there will be weeds among the wheat. But stay with it. 
Guys, there's, there's so many people I know that they, they join these, these pop-up churches and they have this fiery commitment that burns hot and then it fades. That's not what we're about. That's not what the kingdom is about. It's not about being on fire for a season or being on fire for a month or being on fire for a year. It's about a lifetime of obedience to the Lord. It's about a steadfast obedience in a constant direction for all of our lives. And you know what? Our entire life may be spent so that one person might come to know the Lord. And that is worth it. That's worth my whole life. That one person might come to know the Lord truly and deeply. There will be some seed that yields 30, 60, 100 fold. Folks, it's about plowing and planting and sowing and reaping. Then plowing and planting and sowing, and reaping, season in and season out, year in and year out. And I'm sorry that it's not super attractive. I'm sorry that this is not the, the big, woo, we got this great thing going on. It's about loving people and reaching people for the gospel. And it's going to take time, and it's going to be slow and steady. That's really hard to get excited about. But we ought to be excited that the kingdom is growing. That even when we don't see it, the kingdom is on the move. So Jesus continues and he talks about leaven. The metaphor of leaven is usually a bad thing in Scripture. You can look it up in chapter 16. You can look it up in 1 Corinthians 5. But she takes three measures and hides it. That's kneads it into the dough. That would be about 50 pounds and it would have produced enough bread to feed 100 people. Folks, even though the the leaven is put into the dough, and as you knead it, it permeates throughout the dough. He didn't talk about feeding 5,000 people with that dough. He talked about enough bread to feed about 100 people. Folks, sometimes I think we get these visions of grandeur in our head, and that's not what Jesus talks about. This is hard for people to hear. And then when Jesus finishes... I just love how he finishes these hard statements and hard sayings. He's telling people it's not going to be big, it's not going to be flashy, it's not going to grow quickly, and then at the end of it, all the disciples listening to these explanations are thinking, this is the exact opposite of what we expected. And he goes, well, in verse 43, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. If you are willing to listen to this and understand it, listen to it. If not, See ya. And Jesus will say controversial things, and then instead of going back and going, let me, let me just double back and explain that. Jesus never does the political thing. He says radical stuff, and then he goes, hey, if you can handle that, stick with me. If you can't, there's the door. Folks, every time droves and droves of people would follow Jesus, he would say wild and off-the-wall stuff. Like, I am the bread of life. You must eat of my body. And in the Gospel of John, it says that people turned and left because they couldn't handle that kind of phrase. Everybody else says, hey, let me tell you what. Everybody's following me, so let me pull out my best and most attractive sermons. Let me pull out my best and most attractive phrases. When everybody follows Jesus, when the crowds press in on him, he says the hardest piece. And it's tells some people, pushes some people away from him. 
And then he wraps up not by going, oh, no, no, please don't go. Please stay, stay. No, no, no. I, you, you misunderstood. I, 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 didn't, I didn't say it like that. I, I, wasn't, I wasn't doing it. No, no, no. You just, you just took it out of context is what you did. No. Jesus wraps up these hard sayings by, well, if you can't handle it, there's the door. Folks, somebody who is going around doing flashy things to get a big following doesn't act that way. Everything about the way Jesus furthered the kingdom while he was alive was slow and steady. It was investing in people. And it was allowing the weeds to grow up amidst the wheat. And so, folks, I know that there's plenty of us who might be lost in the weeds today. There's plenty of us who you put your trust in somebody that you thought was wheat, but they turned out to be weeds. And you may be wondering, Lord, why on earth would you allow a person like that to be a part of your kingdom and a part of your church? Remember, the Lord says there's some sort of damage that we would receive if he removed them all right now. There's a reason. There's a purpose. His ways are higher. His plans are perfect. His thoughts are higher. And so, until the day when judgment comes... We live, even within the church, among the weeds. And we love people, even when it hurts, even when they betray us, even when they turn their back on us, even when it seems like we're going backwards instead of forwards, we trust that that tiny seed is growing. And folks, I know that sometimes we may wonder, well, how come, how come we're not doing these kind of big events like that church is doing? Or how come we're not, we're not participating in what that big thing is doing over there? I, I, I know that ministry is, is flashy sometimes, but the ministry that Christ exampled for us is investing in people in small numbers and letting it grow slow and steady so that real change can take place. Instead of one emotional decision at one big-time conference that doesn't do anything for your life the rest of your days, it's about planting ourselves with a people, knowing there's weeds among them, growing up with them, investing in them, and letting the Lord be the judge at the final day. So, Folks, I, I hope that that's what your spiritual life, my spiritual life, look like. Not these random spurts of, woo, I'm holy, everything's good. But a long, drug out fight against sin. A commitment and a desire to be among the people, even though there's weeds. Even though there's weeds. To wait on the judgment of God. And trust that He will be fair and just and right. Don't fall victim to the latest fad or the latest craze in Christianity, but stay faithful to the word of the Lord and to his church and know that he sees who the weeds are. He sees who the wheat are and that he'll judge one day for us. It's not our place to figure that out now. So this morning, maybe you're listening to all this and bored out of your mind. I don't know. Maybe something, maybe something struck you. Maybe you realized in the midst of these parables, as you heard the word of the Lord read, you thought, I'm actually, I'm, I'm one of the weeds. I, I know that. And I, I realized for the first time 
I got to do something about that. I want you to know you, you can begin a commitment to Christ in that way today, this morning. I want you to know that the gospel is enough for every weed, and there's always time. That's why the Lord delays. He tarries so that there's time if that describes you. But there'll come a time, and the time's up. There'll come a day where even though it's grown slowly, even though this little mustard seed took a long, long time, the Lord shows up, and the Lord judges, and the weeds will be thrown into the fire into the outer darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. Those are the words directly off our Messiah's mouth. If you find yourself as a weed on that day, the punishment is more than any of us could bear. So I'm, I'm asking you, I'm encouraging you, don't be lotted in with the weeds on that day, when that day comes. Be one of the weeds. Be one of the 30, the 60, the 100 fold that grows and launches out for the Lord and shares the gospel and invests in people and builds those relationships, slow and steady. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you that you sent your son. We thank you that you spoke to us in parables that, God, use analogies that make sense to us. God, thank you that your word is perfect, that your word is true. We ask this morning that we would respond in obedience to your word. God, that we wouldn't be caught up in emotional crazes. We wouldn't be distracted or overemphasized spiritual warfare, Lord. We would, we would focus our hearts and our minds, our attention, and our affection on you. We would have a steadfast obedience in one direction all of our lives. Lord, thank you for giving time. Lord, you could return at any day, at any moment. If you give time, Lord, thank you that there is still time to respond. Father, we ask that during these moments as we sing that you would move and that your people, we would respond to you together in obedience. We ask these things in the precious name of Jesus Christ.